0: What a blessing that it is and a blessing that we have as a church to be able to be led in worship this morning by what I usually call the B-team, but I'm going to stop calling them that. We'll just call them the Jordan Robinson Band or something like that. (laughs) Uh, But we certainly are blessed to be able to be led in worship, even I was not here last week, but uh, Deanna out last week because of uh, some sickness and Steve sits at the piano and uh, plays to you all, lead you in worship like the piano man. And now this week, uh, Deanna's out again, and uh, we're able to have uh, another group lead us in worship. It is, it is certainly a blessing to have people that can lead in worship uh, each and every week, and so I'm grateful. This morning, we're going to start what is known as the Advent season. Now, the Advent season is typically not something that is celebrated maybe in a lot of Protestant churches, but uh, most of us have some understanding of what Advent season is. But as we get started, I thought it would be good for us just to be reminded of what we mean by Advent and, and what we're looking forward to as we'll move closer and closer to Christmas. The word Advent is not a word that we use a lot. It's not in our everyday language, but that word just simply means expectation. Or we might say Advent means it means looking forward to, right? It means, it means looking forward to something, expecting something that is before us. And we talk about the Advent season in particular. What we're talking about is that looking forward to the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It has been symbolized in churches for hundreds of years by an Advent wreath. And you have the wreath in front of you. And each week we will light a candle that leads us ultimately to a candle that will represent Jesus himself, the coming of Christ. We're going to follow the Advent season by today looking at the prophets. Next week, we're going to look at another character, the shepherds, the wise men, Mary and Joseph, and ultimately celebrate the coming of Jesus himself. So today, as we look at the prophets to begin our Advent season, we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, Isaiah Chapter eight, verse twenty-two. We're going to read through chapter nine and verse seven, and that that'll be our key text for today. It'll be the text that we walk through together. Uh, just if you want to, if you want to go ahead and mark that place, Isaiah 9, nine eight nine. You you might also want to mark Second Kings chapter fifteen. I know this feels a little bit like Bible drills, so we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 15. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. It's not necessary for you to follow along with those other two passages, but if you want to, you can find those. Mainly, I want you in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah eight twenty-two, and then 9, 1 through 7 this morning. As we talk about this prophet Isaiah, the message that the Spirit had given him before the coming of Christ, and now he teaches us about what Christ would accomplish when he came in that manger on that Christmas day. So let's stand together and read Isaiah eight twenty-two and then nine one through seven. Isaiah eight twenty-two, nine one through seven. It says, And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us, We'll do this. God, we ask this morning as we walk through this ancient passage of Scripture, God, that you would place in our heart, Lord, an anticipation, an expectation, God, of the celebration of this coming Savior. God, we come into this moment, Lord, and we understand that Christmas is before us and the hustle and bustle of Christmas, God, is always on our minds. But, God, we pray that we would expect, we would anticipate, God, a celebration of Jesus above all other things this morning. And as we move forward through this holiday, God, that we would anticipate, we would celebrate, Lord, the coming of Jesus more so than anything else. God, put us in the place of these Jews. As they were hearing of this promised Savior to come, God, build an, ex- an expectation and an anticipation in our hearts as you built in their hearts as they waited for that baby to be born, that child to be given. So do it in our lives. God, let your Holy Spirit speak to us as we walk through this passage. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. As you well know, Isaiah is an ancient book. Isaiah written some 700 years before we are given the birth narrative in the Gospels. 700 years before Jesus came into the world, this prophet Isaiah, having been given this promise and this message by the Holy Spirit, would prophesy about what the Savior that was to come would accomplish in their life, but also in our lives. As we read this passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to need to depend upon an understanding of some Old Testament passages. So we're going to visit those Old Testament passages as we walk through this sermon this morning. The prophecies always assumed that you came to them with a background in Jewish history. The prophecies assume that you came to them with an understanding of all that had happened in the life of the Jew up until that point. And so while many of us, we don't have that history, we don't have that understanding, we need to depend upon the other scriptures, the other books of the Bible in order to be encouraged and understand what Isaiah had for these Jews in this day. The first thing I want you to see that Isaiah tells us is going to happen whenever this Savior does come is that he's going to turn our lives from gloom to glory. This is why I read chapter 8 and verse 22. Look at it again. They will look to the earth but behold distress and darkness, gloom of anguish and they will be thrust it says into darkness but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. We understand just by uh, 8.22 and one that the promise that Isaiah has is given to us is, is that those of us that walk in gloom, when the Savior comes, when the promised Messiah arrives, we will move from gloom and we will be found in a condition of glory. It, the promise is there in those two verses, eight twenty-two 22 and 9, 1. But Isaiah does something interesting in verse 2 as he continues to discuss, or excuse me, in the latter part of verse 1, as he continues to discuss what this looks like. Look in the second sentence of Isaiah 1. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you are like me, that Zebulun and Nephtali has no meaning to you. It did not to me as before I began to study this passage of Scripture and most of us that do not have a good Jewish history in our minds, these places that are listed here may not be that significant to our minds. So why would Isaiah input them here as he's saying... God is going to take what is in gloom and he is going to bring it to glory. Why does he give us as these places as examples of what that looks like? Well, in order to properly understand, we need to find out all that we can about these lands. So if you have your Bibles open to 2 Kings 15, 2 Kings 15, the scripture on the board is going to say verse 2. But I was informed at the last service that that is wrong. I missed the 9. It's, it's 2 Kings 15, 29. Look at what the Scripture says about this land, Zebulun and Nephtali. Now, I'll tell you, like I told the other group, I practiced all week at saying these words, and it's likely that I'm going to stumble over them. But uh, you're just going to have to deal with it unless you want to give it a shot because these things are not fun to pronounce. You ready? 2 Kings 15, verse 29. Listen to what he says. He says, and he did what was evil in the sight. Oh, this is 28. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had made Israel to sin. In the days of Pekah, the king of Israel, Tiglath Pilesar, king of Assyria, came and captured Ijon, Abel, Beth, Micah, Joniah, Kadesh, Hazar, Gilead, and Galilee. Listen, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried the people captive in. Assyria. Now, I want you to hear that because what Isaiah is saying is just like Naphtali, the land of Naphtali, was taken from gloom to glory, so the coming Messiah would take us from gloom to glory. Now, what did we learn from 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29? We learned that the land of Naphtali was in captivity that the Assyrians came and took the whole nation captive. There was not a free Jewish man in the midst of the land of Naphtali. They were all taken captive. And listen to how the Jew would have heard this promise of Isaiah. Just like all of your fathers were held in captivity and only experienced gloom, the one that is promised to come he will take that gloom and He will turn it into glory. Do you see what He's promising the people of Israel? That you once would find yourself in captivity, but God is going to rescue you and give you freedom. Just like your forefathers who were in Naphtali, God is going to take what was doom and He is going to bring joy in it. He is going to bring what is, de- what is, uh, what is sad and He's going to make it better for you in what is distressful and dark. He is going to relieve you. See, this is what happens when Jesus comes on the scene. When Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew, He shows us that the purpose of His coming was to bring us out of captivity and into freedom for our sins. This is the work of the Savior. And the prophet Isaiah is promising that this is what He is going to accomplish. If you'll look at Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse twelve, we have these words of Matthew recording the acts of Jesus. Matthew chapter four and verse twelve says, "Now when he Jesus, when Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Listen, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali." so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled the land of Zebulun, the land of Natalia, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death on them a light has dawned from that time on Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand you follow this with me, this is really important for us a land in ancient Egypt that was taken in captivity by the Assyrians where there was only distress and doom. Isaiah comes in Isaiah chapter 9 and says he is going to take the land of Naphtali and he is going to take it from gloom and he is going to make it into glory. And then in Matthew chapter 4, very literally, we are being told that Jesus... Jesus would walk into this place known as gloom and of captivity. He would walk into this place and it would no longer be known by gloom and doom and distress, but it would be known by us as the land from which Jesus preached the gospel. That Jesus would declare, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you see, very literally, Isaiah chapter 9 is coming true through the very presence of this child who was born, this baby who is given on our behalf for our salvation. Do you see Isaiah, written 700 years before Matthew, had no idea exactly how this would play out, but he was sure that when the Savior came, he would take that which was in gloom and it would become used for the glory of the Father, for the salvation of men. Very realistically, we're seeing the this this being solved, this problem of gloom being taken care of. We're, we're seeing that Jesus is walking in the midst of a place that was known as captivity, and he was rescuing the soul's of men. This is what happened to the world. This is the Christmas story. The Christmas story is Jesus came to a place of distress and doom. Jesus came to a place filled with gloom. Read verse 22. They look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust in a thick of darkness. This is the world that Jesus came into. But Jesus would come into this world. This world of gloom, and he would turn it into glory. That now the promise for us is, is that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that this Jesus, this child who was born, is the Lord. An area that was once in captivity by the Assyrians will become a place of the proclamation of the gospel. In our lives, this is what happens. Our hearts are filled with darkness without Jesus. We are dead in our sins without Jesus. Yes, we could say that there is gloom and distress in us. But praise be to God because of the work of Christ. Now our hearts are filled with glory. From gloom to glory. The next thing I want you to see is that that he will take and he will turn our darkness into light. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Make sure you see the tenses of those verbs. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased His joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. You see, he's saying that he's going to take what is dark, what is in gloom, and he's going to make it into the light. You know, I grew up in, uh, in North Calvary Baptist Church, which I probably shouldn't have said that, but I grew up in North Calvary Baptist Church, and we had an old preacher. I don't know how old he was, but, you know, old people are old no matter how old they are. You know, like I thought he was 110 when I was a kid, but I'm sure he wasn't. But he had a bad habit when he preached. He would have points under his points. And that irritated me all the time. I said, just tell us what you want us to know and move on. But he'd say, my second point under my second point is, and he would tell us what it was. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to be a little bit like him today. So the darkness to light, the darkness to light. Isaiah gives us three reasons that we can claim light over The darkness. Three reasons that we can claim to have light over the darkness. The first one he said is, We are his people. Look at what he says there in the first few words of verse three. You have multiplied the nation. This is what he's saying God, you've multiplied the nation. You recognize that none of us, but by the grace of God, can be saved. None of us are Jews. We, by our nationality, are not God's people. We, by the expectations of the old covenant, cannot be redeemed. But, but by the coming of Jesus Christ, we have been, Scripture says, grafted into the nation of Israel. We are God's people. Even though we are Gentiles, we are now considered the very children of God. And this is what Isaiah is saying. He's saying those that were in the darkness, they are going to be found in the light. And they are in the light because of the work that God has done in multiplying the nations. Go back up to the beginning, the latter part of verse 1 where he says, But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. And then he says what? Galilee of the nation. Some of your translations say Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, because God has included us as part of his chosen people, we no longer live in darkness, but we can claim to live in the light. We have become the very people of God. Being the children of God, if nothing else in our life, being the children of God ought to bring us hope. It ought to bring us joy. It ought to bring us contentment. And this is what Isaiah is saying. You are being brought from darkness to light simply because you are his. But then look at what he says. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. See, not only are we taken from darkness to light because we are God's children, we are taken from darkness to light because of his joy. He has placed inside of us a joy that cannot be taken away from us. Christian, he has given us a joy that cannot be removed from us. Two things he says. One, he mentions the harvest. He says you're like like a man at the harvest who's joyful for all that he's bringing in. But he also says you're like a man who is taking up the spoils of war who has been victorious in war and is taking up the spoil. See, he's saying that we, as God's chosen people, we have plenty and we have peace. We have everything we could ever need and we are peacefully living underneath his domain. We have a joy in our hearts as a result of the work of God. We are his people. The last thing I want you to see is that we are victorious. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Again, again, these people that are hearing this prophecy, they are hearing this prophecy with the history of Israel on their mind. Most of us don't enter into this with the history of Israel. That's why we need to be reminded about Zedalim and and Naphtali, but it's also why we need to be reminded of Midian. Midian was a battle that was fought. You remember it. More likely, you may not remember Midian, but you may remember Gideon. Gideon was the man who led the army at Midian to be victorious. Do you remember that account? Gideon has 32,000 men. 32,000 men and Gideon comes to the Lord and says Lord I don't really want to fight but if you'll assure to me that we can be victorious then I will march and you remember he sets the fleece out remember that and then the Lord comes to Gideon with 32,000 men and the Lord says to Gideon Gideon I want you to tell everybody that has fear in their hearts if anyone is afraid if any soldier is uncertain with whether or not they want to go forward in battle I want you to tell them to pack it up and go to the house Gideon had 32,000 men, 22,000 left because they were fearful. The Lord comes to Gideon, and Gideon says, look, I've only got 10,000 men to fight this battle. There's no way we will be victorious. And the Lord says, I want you to do something else. You remember this? He puts them on the side of that that stream, and he says, "I I want you to watch how they drink the water. And the ones that drink the water with their hands, I want you to send them away. And the ones that drink, their, drink the water straight out of the stream, I want you to keep them. Gideon has gone all of a sudden from an army of 32,000 to an army of 300 to fight the Midianites. You and I, we felt just like Gideon feels. Gideon said, God, there's no way, there is no way an army of 300 can defeat the Midianites. And God does what he always does for us. He says, You are absolutely right. There is no way an army of 300 men can defeat an army of Midian without me. Without me, you are hopeless. Without me, you will certainly be defeated. Without me, you will not be able to accomplish anything. But Gideon, with the Lord of hosts, you will find yourself victorious. Listen to what Isaiah says. He says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken. As on the day of Midian. Do you hear what Isaiah is telling the Jewish people? He's saying there's coming a day where there won't be a burden on your shoulders for your own salvation. There's coming a day when there won't be a staff for your salvation, where there won't be a rod of oppression for you to gain your salvation. But God will break that just as He broke it on the day of Midian. You see what Isaiah is telling the people of God? Whenever the Savior comes... He's going to do something that you could not do on your own. He is going to save you. He is going to take you from darkness to light. He is going to take you from gloom to glory. He is going to be able to transform the very sin payment that you owe and put it on His Son, Jesus. What is He going to do? He's going to take us from gloom to glory he's going to take us from darkness to light but how is he going to do it look at verse 6 to us a child is born to us a son is given the prophet tells us these things so that we might have hope the prophet tells us these things so that we might have hope and this is a big question for us why are we giving this information Well, so you might have hope but you know the bigger question that I have in my heart is why does God do these things why does God send a child to be born why does God give a son to take us from gloom to glory and from darkness to light listen to what the Lord says himself for to us a child is born To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And don't miss this. The zeal of the Lord of Hosts will do this. What is He going to do? He's going to take us from gloom to glory and from darkness to light. And why does He do it? Because He is zealous for us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of armies will take His Son and place Him on the cruel cross. The zeal of the Lord will put Jesus in a manger. The zeal of the Lord. You know what zeal means. We don't use the word zeal, but it's the word we use, jealousy. The jealousy of God is why Isaiah chapter 9 is accomplished when we have jealousy in our hearts we display our jealousy and anger and animosity and and we display our jealousy and hatred and harmfulness so we have a hard time understanding how the jealousy of God can be displayed to us in love and yet the zeal of our Lord is not displayed to us in anger and hatred and animosity That's not the way God displays His zeal, His jealousy for us. He displays His jealousy in an act of love. It's why we sing that song that we sang when we first got started. It's why we quote that all-too-famous verse that John gives us in the third chapter of his gospel where he tells us that the, the, the Lord loved the world. He loved the world, and since He loved the world, He gave His Son to us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts gives us Jesus. That He is jealous for us. Simply what this means is, is that not only do we have this opportunity of gloom to glory and darkness to light... But God is jealous that we would turn our eyes away from the darkness of the world and towards His light. God is jealous that that we would turn our eyes away from the gloom and towards His glory. How wonderful is it to know that our God is jealous for us. That this Christmas season as we anticipate and as we expect the coming, the birth and the celebration of that birth of Jesus what He wants from us is He wants all of our attention. Yes indeed, God is jealous for you. He wants you. He wants all of us. He wants all of us to experience the glory and the light and so He sends Jesus to be born. He sends a son to be given. This is the message of Christmas. Certainly, you can't understand Christmas without understanding the gospel itself. I think maybe that that's what Jesus would call us all to this morning, is to be reminded that each of us, on our own, walk in darkness. We all do. But because the sun has come, we can be found in light simply by trusting in the work that He accomplished, not only in coming in a manger, but the work of the cross and the life of the resurrection. Above all, this morning, we need to be sure that we trust in that gospel. We make a decision to trust Him, to trust the prophets, sure, but to trust the testimony of the gospels as well, that the salvation is available for us, the glory and the light has been made available for you and I. God, this Christmas season, would you remind us, Lord, maybe more so than ever before, that our hearts can be taken from gloom to glory and from darkness to light. Simply with the acknowledgement that we have been called your children, we have an inner joy, a peace, and a plenty. And God, you're of the...